It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi everybody, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. We got uh, Matt Whitaker is going to be joining us, a former attack, uh, acting attorney general. be great to talk to him about the president's, well, I guess a couple of wins last night in the primaries. You know, we wanted Jeff Sessions out. Uh, I read uh, through, uh, through that was a real gray area for him. He hates him. And Tommy Tumberville did get the nomination to take on Doug Jones to get that Senate seat back for Republicans. Without it, they don't have the majority. And also... Um, Ronnie Jackson won, the, the longtime presidential doctor for President Obama, President Bush, and President Trump that had so much controversy uh, because of uh, the background, and I believe people that lied about his background to make sure he wasn't the last, the next Homeland Security Secretary, so Health and Human Services Secretary, I should say, and he won, his nomina- he won uh, the nomination in Texas, and that's a very Republican district. And before we get to the big three, we have some big news. Guess who's back? Allison Mansfield only had two children, and she just needed four months to work her way back into our starting lineup. Allison, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Brian. It's awesome to be back. Really? Well, you don't even know that. You've only been back for four minutes. <laughs> that is true, and trying to log back onto everything has been a little nightmare of itself. Right. I am so much better and more and more informed than I was when you left off. You're really going to be surprised. I'm sure I will be. You surprise me every day. All right. You're sarcastic as ever. Allison, (laughs) great to have you. Uh, Pete and Eric are here. Justin did a great job. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. No rendering on that poster of criticism that Governor Cuomo ignored warnings. No painting there on the poster of his since rescinded order that nursing homes take all infected patients in. Clueless Cuomo and his ill-advised victory tour over COVID-19. Meanwhile, the numbers are just not adding up in Florida, and I think we might know why. I'm talking about infection rates. I'll bring you the details. Number two. When Donald Trump thinks about climate change, the only word he can muster is hoax. Joe Biden gave a speech in which he said that the core of his economic agenda is a hard-left crusade against American energy. He wants to kill American energy. Uh, Donald Trump. Joe Biden, finally, I get the sense we're in a presidential race as the candidates take aim at each other on Corona energy taxes and country. Number one. I think that one thing that's overlooked in this when we talk about cancel culture, right, is that the people who are inoculated from it are people that are already extremely successful and can take the risk. Uh, That is so true. But who is that? Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Barry Weiss, former New York Times opinion columnist, the cancel culture. You started it, liberals. Now deal with it. The culture takes another root, takes another, uh, I guess, high ranking professional out of circulation. A liberal editor calls it quits and calls out their employer. The New York Times verifying every suspicion about the fairness of the paper and the power of Twitter and this intolerant, self-important generation. I'm not kidding. There was a time in which when you walked into a paper or TV station or radio station and you're the young person coming in, you don't get your ideas heard. And basically you come in with new ideas and talk about what everybody's talking about. And they say, well, listen, we know how we know how it's done. 
Now it's just the opposite. This new 20-something, 30-something generation comes in and scares the heck out of veteran reporters, veteran editorial editors, veteran writers, and in this situation, intimidates, harassed, and bullies. And that's the allegation. And I'm not reading between the lines. That's exactly what she said, Barry Weiss's resignation letter. I mean, it goes on for pages, but I'll try to read an uh, excerpt throughout the hour. A new consensus has emerged in the press, perhaps especially at this paper, that truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known as an enlightened few whose job it is to inform everyone else. So think about this. Do you remember a few weeks ago when Tom Cotton wrote an editorial why the president should use troops to bring order and civility back to places like Minneapolis, Portland, and Seattle? And they want to get his perspective as an infantry guy now on uh, now with Homeland Security on the Armed Services Committee. And everyone was so outraged that the New York Times published somebody's opinion that was conservative that the editor was basically fired but just quit. His name was James Bennett. And now a few weeks later, this woman, Barry Weiss, who they say is center left, who cried when Donald Trump won the election, is not left enough. Because she would write positive things about Israel. Here's another part of a letter. Intellectual curiosity, let alone risk-taking, is now a liability at the Times. Why edit something challenging to our readers? Or write something bold only get through the numbing process of making it ideologically kosher? When we can assure ourselves of job security and clicks by publishing our 4,000th op-ed arguing that Donald Trump is a unique danger to the country and the world, and so self-censorship has become the norm. Now, as a business model, why does it make sense? I don't care if you're liberal or conservative, and if I had a conservative newspaper, I would make sure to have a liberal writer, and I would make sure to have a way liberal writer and a big-time conservative writer, to the writer George Will, because I want a wide swath of customers, of subscribers, of readers. But that doesn't seem to be the business model of the New York Times, who she claims is answering to Twitter. And she let us know really how she felt when she was on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I don't want to spend too much time with Barry Weiss. Just know she's a really good writer. She's left. And she's probably going to team um, with... Some other established writers at a publication that's going to push back. My hope is these people don't lose jobs just because their opinion doesn't go with the New York Times, with the Washington Post, with CNN and MSNBC. I never thought – I thought you just come in, you have an opinion, and you try to win the debate. And they say, wow, that Barry Weiss won that debate. Or you know what? That uh, – that – I guess Chris Hayes really made a lot of sense last night. Or no – and then you debate it. But now if you write it or say it, you have to apologize or you get fired. So here's a little of what Barry Weiss sounds like, kind of telegraphing what was happening to her career. Cut one. I think that one thing that's overlooked in this when we talk about cancel culture, right, and the social ostracism and the actual firings that can happen when you uh, break with one another orthodoxy, is that the people who are inoculated from it are people that are already extremely successful and can take the risk. It's why Ricky Gervais can be Ricky Gervais. It's why J.K. Rowling can tweet what she tweeted a few months ago and survive it because they've already accumulated enough capital. The people that I hear from that are completely screwed by it are people like artists and poets and untenured professors who 
aren't famous and no one knows about and are, you know, having to go with a begging bowl on Patreon or Venmo or whatever to get support after they've, you know, made a bad joke or whatever it is. And think about that. I mean, how scary it is. You have a family and not only in the pandemic and people looking to cut back, not only are you in an industry that's struggling like newspapers, even though online is, is fueling it and Donald Trump is supporting it by being so newsworthy every single day. One of the first comments was, and I'll just paraphrase it, she thought the New York Times was important because in 2016 they totally missed the election. And even though they wrote about how was the Russian hoax and the electoral process is wrong and they should really be a popular vote and the Mueller report and President Trump cheated, when they was all said and done, he won 30 states and she won 20. And they missed it. And they thought, she thought, I'm going to come in and brought it out and see if we can make this paper more relevant. Instead, when she started writing this stuff or talking about this horrible place called Israel in a positive way, and I'm being sarcastic, I think Israel is one of the finest countries on the planet, one of the great success stories in the history of the world. Uh, When she started writing about that, she got a lot of blowback and a lot of intimidation. And in in an era of the Me Too movement, which I think we're still in, I'm pretty astounded this was able to fly. So – Uh, I'll get to other topics, but that was Barry Weiss talking about it. But I also thought Robbie Suave was on with me last night because I was lucky enough to fill in for Tucker Carlson on his show. And he's a senior editor at Reason Magazine and wrote a book about this, Cut Four. I think it's a very significant. It's been a crazy couple of, uh, of weeks. The drama at a number of newsrooms, including and especially the New York Times. Remember, this is coming uh, shortly after they got rid of their opinion editor, James Bennett, who is also someone interested in cultivating or, or engaging um, ideas outside the progressive liberal bubble that has so consumed the New York Times. What's happening is that the most significant people associated with that effort to broaden the, the perspective, again, not to change like what the New York Times thinks, but just to consider what other people in this country might think, those people are being rooted out or they, they just can't work there because it's such a miserable climate because of what the other employees, some small minority of very angry, woke progressives, uh, are uh, subjecting them to harassment and bullying and gossip and, uh, and name-calling that's just made it a toxic environment for anyone who disagrees with them. There's a curator in San Francisco at a museum, a museum I'll never go in, a city I rarely visit. And he had this idea, and he came out and said it, that he believes that white artists should also be in, uh, they should also purchase paintings and art sculptures from white artists. And there was such outrage. I'm not kidding. Outrage from people that used to work there, did work there. They had a petition to get rid of him, and he got fired. By saying that we should accept work from white artists, what planet are we on? Andrew Sullivan quit uh, The New Yorker magazine for a similar reason. Evidently, he's going to hook up with uh, Barry, uh, and he's going to do something with her. So uh, we'll talk about cancel culture. I've had it. I don't care if I agree or don't agree. It makes no sense to ruin people's lives because you don't agree with their opinion or it's not with lockstep. If The New York Times doesn't like an editorial, if they feel as they don't need a conservative, then you really don't want me to read your news stories either. My problem is now their editorial section. I bypass it every day. But my problem is when I used to leave, read news reports, I see an agenda. That's the problem more than ever. So real quick, yesterday... Joe Biden marched out in a small room, Willington, Delaware, and said, here's part two of my economic plan. Donald Trump was so, I think, astounded 
by how different it was from anything that he would think to do and what he now knows about the job that he he thought about before, but now he knows for sure what works and what doesn't work when it comes to refugees, when it comes to immigration, when it comes to citizenship, when it comes to travel bans, when it comes to energy, when it comes to the economy, when it comes to clean energy, when it comes into infrastructure. He sees and listens to Joe Biden. And even though his five o'clock press conference at the Rose Garden is supposed to be about sanctions against China, he couldn't help himself. And he's seeing a debate that he thinks he can win yesterday, let alone today and this fall. So here's a little of something I thought we'd be seeing a lot of. But because of the pandemic, it just isn't front and center in your mind. You're more worried about your restaurant, your bar, your life, your job, your house, your career. Here's a little of the sparring. Tell me who you think wins. Cut six. Mr. President, please listen to your public health experts instead of denigrating them. He opposed my very strict travel ban. Xenophobic, he called me. But if we had listened to Joe Biden, hundreds of thousands of additional lives would have been lost. I see American manufacturing, American workers racing to dominate the global market. America lost nearly 10,000 factories while... Joe Biden was vice president. One in five miles of our highways are still in, quote, poor condition, according to the American engineers. Why didn't he fix them? He was there for eight years with President Obama. Why didn't they fix them? And he was in charge of the stimulus plan that was basically a billion dollars spent what you want on shovel ready projects, on tunnels, on bridges, on roads. When you look at what Joe Biden didn't do and did do with that $800 billion, and it was his responsibility, he did have it and was given that responsibility, which he brags about. When you're examined that, it's wide open. But, Mr. President, you're not going to get Joe Biden on the campaign trail as long as the pandemic is running wild through the southwest, south and southwest, and while he's leading in most battleground polls. Close the gap. Handle the pandemic. And things will come online in the fall for you. Without it, it's not going to happen. Listen, when we come back, I'm going to take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. I'm also going to talk a little bit about what Andrew Cuomo did a couple of days ago and what he did yesterday that even had CNN jump down his throat. Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path.
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. What we went through and what we did was historic. Because we did tame the beast. We did turn the corner. We did plateau that mountain. And then we came down the other side. And they will be talking about what we did for decades to come. Welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show. Um, just looking at all the breaking news here, and we'll try to cover it throughout the day. The president's going to be in Atlanta uh, unveiling uh, another one of uh, privatizing, in- uh, privatizing another industry. But first things first, as I mentioned before, uh, Governor Cuomo inexplicably, inexplicably feels as though he won the coronavirus, uh, the, the fight against the coronavirus. When 72 percent of the people told, uh, when polled in New York by Siena, they said they expected to come back. And by the way, they thought they beat it in Florida and Texas and Georgia, too. And it came back. We're not even sure why it came back. And believe me, nobody's really said the same thing twice. So he decides to do that. I'm astounded by it. I'll play a cut a little bit later of what he did to the president, calling him out. And the president answered him back with putting the responsibility of the death of 6,200 nursery home, nursery home attendants on his, uh, on his back and on his record. But listen to Jake Tapper on CNN. The poster includes references to his daughters and a boyfriend, little inside jokes. There are no illustrations, however, of the more than 32,000 dead New Yorkers, the highest death toll by far of any state. No rendering on that poster of criticism that Governor Cuomo ignored warnings, no depiction of the study that he could have saved thousands of lives had he and Mayor de Blasio acted sooner. No painting there on the poster of his since rescinded order that nursing homes take all infected patients in. Wow. I mean, think about this. He works with Chris Cuomo and he said that, but he's 100% right. It makes no sense. It shows what an egomaniac he is, how detached he is from reality. Every time something goes wrong in New York, it's not his fault. Cases go high, it's not his fault. Uh, they're, they're flooded in with uh, Europeans who are infected, not his fault. When he said our hospitals can handle it, New York can handle it, unlike Wuhan, China, and they can't handle it. It's not his fault. When he asked for a ship and they don't use it, it's not his fault. When they convert Javits Center and they only use 100 beds, it's not his fault. When, they, when he begs for ventilators and he doesn't need almost all of them, it's not his fault. But he had no problem saying this about the president, who he was just begging for financing for a tunnel to New Jersey. Listen to this. Trump's COVID scandal makes what Nixon did at Watergate look innocent. Nobody died in the Watergate scandal. Thousands of people are going to die in this COVID scandal. And that is all the difference in the world. You look at the facts. The facts clearly demonstrate Trump was wrong from day one. And New Yorkers have been right from day one. There's no argument. There's nothing to tweet about. The facts are in. The numbers are in. The numbers are in. By far, more people died in New York than anywhere else. What are you looking at? Number two is Trump has not been 100% right. Nobody has. The CDC couldn't come up with a test. Dr. Fauci said we have nothing to worry about. And Trump could have acted quicker, a little quicker. But he did a lot of things right. There's no 100% here, certainly not you. 
That was sickening. Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm going to be back with uh, Matt Whitaker in just a moment, the former Attorney General of the United States. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Now we've had over 120 officers killed in the line of duty this year alone. That's that's a 34 percent increase from last year. Now we're moving forward, and you know we're trying to um, bring the rhetoric down. But there's organized groups that just keep coming. They're working with radios. They got earpieces. They have spotters. They have mappers. They have advanced teams. They know where they want to bring the protest when they bring it, and they bring it with a purpose. And and the purpose is not to bring the message about George Floyd. We've kind of lost that message. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's absolutely correct. I mean, you know, the, the police know and are seeing these protests uh, for what they are, and that is that they are actively trying to change cities uh, and, and for the worse and to bring more chaos, to chase uh, law-abiding citizens and businesses out of their towns so that they can have their socialist utopia. And it's, um, you know, quite frankly, a lot of people, and I know you know this, Brian, but a lot of people in New York are voting with their feet and, and moving out, and they're doing the same in California and other places where these movements are very strong. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Yeah. Yeah, Brian, the choice is so clear. And in New York City is a prime example. It was, a, it was an example of good policing. Uh, intelligence-led policing with Comstat, and all they were doing, murders were down. They were, I think, for their per population, they were they were 25% of what was happening in Chicago and other places. And now, um, you, when you're pulling back uh, the types of proactive policing that worked in New York City that kept people safe, what are you seeing? You're seeing murders, assaults, rapes, everything going up. And it's a shame that uh, the things that worked, uh, for some reason, the, the the few liberals in charge just, you know, can't stomach good policing anymore. It's, it's really a shame. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 100% organized. You have people who are either loosely or very closely connected with local Antifa organizations. Whether they're talking about these loose organizations of individuals who just share their dangerous ideology, or they're literally literally communicating on Twitter and on Facebook and via Signal, these different apps, trying to get people to show up. And the reason why they keep showing up, the reason why you've had six weeks straight of this kind of violence is because every single day for the last six weeks in Portland and across this country, cops are being demonized and villainized. 
the bad behavior is being justified. You have politicians either too terrified to say anything for fear that they might upset the Democratic base that they rely on to keep them in power, or they're part of the people cheering this kind of stuff on and encouraging it. So, as you can imagine, the, the, the FBI and all the, all the law enforcement assets of the federal government is kind of the 912. Uh, there's not the, the first responders and the police and the sheriff's deputies that are on the ground having to handle this. You know, they're obviously in, in certain circumstances, the National Guard can be activated uh, either by the state governor, which is oftentimes preferred, or by the um, president of the United States. But, you know, we, we need to put the responsibility where it belongs, and that is, is on the elected officials, the mayors, the city councils in places like Minneapolis, Portland, New York City, wherever else they're having this, these protests that can, and violence and looting that can't be controlled. It's because of weak-kneed politicians that are cowed by these radical, uh, you know, few. And it's just it's a shame that, that somebody can't grow a spine and lead in the Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, the law is very clear. I mean, the challenge is always going to be the posse comitatus statute uh, that we, you know, sort of don't do domestic law enforcement with our military, but obviously the National Guard provides a kind of a swing role. We saw them activated in D.C. for a time uh, to quell some violence uh, that we saw right after George Floyd. And, uh, you know, I think, I think there, are, there are opportunities, but, you know, again, the, uh, the, it is best handled uh, by the, the police and the sheriff's deputies. These, these groups are not that enormous that can't be handled by, for example, the Portland Police Department. It is merely that they don't have the support and backing of the mayor and the city council to do their job and to do what's necessary to clear the streets and to restore law and order. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Trouble comes from, it comes in Minnesota, it comes right from the top, Governor Walls. One of the 78 executive order orders that he's promulgated in the era of one-man rule following the COVID-19 epidemic prohibited... Uh, in law enforcement from removing homeless people from parks. And the Powderhorn Park is one of 38 with homeless in, in the city of Minneapolis with homeless encampments in it. And it's grown in, in the way that you said to include 560 tents. Tomorrow night, the Parks Board is meeting to try to bring the number down from 38 parks with homeless encampments in them to 20 parks with homeless encampments in them. In, Min- in Minneapolis, that would be pro- uh, progress, but it's really pathetic. Yeah. If, if, you want, if you want a, a vision of Joe Biden's America, if he were to become president um, next year, you look to Minneapolis and Minnesota as to what those types of policies, once they're implemented, do. It is homelessness. It is uh, lack of law and order. It is everything that you're seeing play out 
And, uh, you know, that's, that's what you're going to get. And it's, 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 a, it's a shame that we can do better. Minnesota and Minneapolis can do better. It's a, Minneapolis-St. Paul is a beautiful area that has just been completely run into the ground by liberal mayors and city councils. Yeah, you know, so Jeff Sessions, I worked for him for 13 months as the chief of staff. He's one of the most decent um, people I know. Uh, but obviously, the decisions that he made uh, led the people of Alabama to go with Tommy Tuberville. And that's, you know, that's uh, if the people are in control of these seats, they are not owned by any individual. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to Tommy Tuberville winning and beating Jones in the fall and becoming a U.S. senator from Alabama. Well, I think he's publicly said that uh, Jeff Sessions as attorney general is his biggest mistake he ever made in personnel. And that, you know, that even includes people like Jerome Powell, who's the, the Fed chair, and other, you know, um, personnel challenges the president's had to face. But, you know, the president um, uh, replaced Jeff Sessions with Bill Barr. And, I, and, you know, I span the gap between those as acting attorney general. And I think Bill Barr is doing a great job right now There's, you know, and continue to press on the law and order agenda because the American people who pay for his job and pay for everyone's job in the federal government and the executive branch expect law and order and they expect their homes and businesses protected from the, uh, the lawless angry mob. Thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think it's very unrealistic to think that it's 100% safe. I don't think that's a, that's a realistic thing to think. It has to come down to how safe can you possibly hit it? And are you comfortable taking that risk? And that's where you have to have that option, where if you're not comfortable, if you're in a compromised situation, you have to be able to have that option to not, not be there. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Well, I, I believe the league and the, the union are, are still negotiating and, and going through some of that process, and um, so and I believe they're they're scheduled to meet today by all reports. Um, so, you know, like I told our staff and I told our coaches and, and everybody in our building, we'll, we'll plan to prepare the like we're going to start next week on the twenty first, and and uh, if if 
the league decides to, or the union decides to push it back, then we'll be prepared for whatever we have to start. But um, right now, I like our plan, and uh, I think the league and the union are working through some of the, um, the nuances on the testing and, and everything else as we speak. You know, I, I have not had my head, had not have any discussions with our players yet. Um, I know this, and I've talked with my family and, and the people around me about myself going into work, and and I feel more comfortable about going into the facility than I do going into the grocery store or anywhere else, knowing that you know we're, they're going to be vigilant with the testing and, and cleaning of the facilities, and and um, it's going to be hard pressed to find a, a more pristine place, although probably not perfect than what the NFL and the PA are going to put forward in terms of the testing and going into work and, and having to do it. And that's probably the one place where I may feel more comfortable. And, and trust me, I'm a little bit of a germaphobe myself. So um, I put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I don't, and, and that's the one thing that I, I challenge everybody in our organization is uh, let's not find a reason why we can't do it. It's not going to be normal. Um, nothing that we do uh, right now in, in the world is normal because of this uh, this virus. So let's look at it as, uh, you know, let's find a way how to do it and not find reasons why we can't do it. And I have kind of our, our employees, our coaches, everybody is looking at different methods, and, and some of these methods that we do may be long overdue and, 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 and maybe better for us and better for the team and better for football in the long run. So uh, I look at more of a challenge as to, hey, you know what, it's going to be different. It's going to be different for the players. Nothing that we do is going to feel normal at first. But as we go through this and, and challenge each other, to let's not find a reason. Let's not take the easy way out and say, hey, we can't do this, we can't do that. But let's find a reason why we can do things. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. It does not feel different. We still have our meetings on a weekly basis with my direct reports and, uh, you know, still have great communication with Coach Maroon and, and his staff. It's uh, it's been eye opening in terms of a lot because you get to save. You know, if you figure you lose an hour driving to work and you lose an hour coming home from work, you know that's some extra time you could spend with your family. Um, and it's been really rewarding, and you realize you can actually do a lot. Like we talk about a new normal and how things aren't normal. That hey, maybe as the fall approaches, maybe I can work from home a little bit more and get home. And, and do my film work and do things from, from, from home and still have spent some time with my family. So that's actually been, uh, been eye-opening at first. Just like Coach Harbaugh said, I don't know how, how we're going to possibly run a draft from the home. I was very skeptical, and then we just started to say, hey, let's not find a reason why we can't do this. Let's look at why we can do it. And then some of the things that we implemented were actually pretty good and um, things that I'll carry forward to. Yeah, that's my understanding. And, that, you know, Mark Lamping, our team president, and Shot Connor owner, you know, they set those uh, parameters. That's a little bit out of my jurisdiction. But from my understanding, it is 25%, and then they refunded all the ticket money back to our um, uh, season ticket holders and everybody. And, and then it'll kind of come on a 
first come first serve basis of those 25% and, and kind of redistribute the uh, the seating charts of the stadium uh, to assure social distancing. And, and from my understanding and the brief uh, knowledge I have of it, they seem like they are um, very well prepared and, and have a good plan for it. Uh, both are really good. Uh, the minor league baseball stadium is a great, especially for minor league baseball, is, is a great little stadium. Um, I don't know the total capacity, but great seating. And obviously ours is a football stadium, holds over 60,000 people. So I don't know what the uh, the draw will be or won't be for them, but uh, um, both would be cool venues, yeah, for sure. Yeah. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. No rendering on that poster of criticism that Governor Cuomo ignored warnings. No painting there on the poster of his since rescinded order that nursing homes take all infected patients in. Number two. When Donald Trump thinks about climate change... The only word he can muster is hoax. Joe Biden gave a speech in which he said that the core of his economic agenda is a hard left crusade against American energy. He wants to kill American energy. Number one. I think that one thing that's overlooked in this when we talk about cancel culture, right, is that the people who are inoculated from it are people that are already extremely successful and can take the risk. Morning, Brian. How are you doing? No, no, we're not, Brian. So, uh, look, um, governor's handling this uh, responsibly. Uh, phase one and phase two went very well. In fact, our infection rates uh, and our hospitalizations were lower than when the state was locked down. Lower. That is better than we were locked down. Phase three, we hit these flare-ups, and you're going to get them. Uh, every economy in every country uh, sees these flare-ups as they reopen. Uh, it's to be expected. Our hospitals are super prepared for this, but there's no question. The number of cases, more importantly, the hospitalizations we have are a serious issue. That's why we're focused on the things that help you get these case uh, uh, and hospitalizations down. The difference, Brian, in this is that this is a much younger group. They're not getting it at work. There's no need to lock down the economy, force people to to stay at home. Uh, They are shorter stays. Uh, they're not in the ICU as much. They don't use ventilators as much. But still, you gotta you gotta make these flare-ups manageable so you can continue to reopen. We're seeing two things. 
One is we are seeing a meaningful increase in hospitalizations, and that is a very dangerous sign. We are seeing, however, also what you're pointing out, and that is uh, almost half of the people who are testing positive are under the age of 35. As a result, uh, it means that more of the people who are testing positive uh, will not be going to hospitals uh, as before. But we do need to be very concerned about those who are hospitalized. But also we must emphasize exactly what you said, and that is for the young adults who who do test positive, they can spread that with their parents, with their grandparents, and that can lead to the serious problem. That's exactly why during this time period, while we are waiting on medications, it's so important uh, that people in Texas, as elsewhere, wear a mask. Well, where, yes, uh, where you can't social distance, where it's not possible, yeah, it's just common sense. And look, uh, the, big, the big four things work, social distancing, self-monitoring yourself for symptoms, um, personal hygiene, washing your hands really easy, and then where you can't social distance, wearing a mask, pretty common sense, pretty uh, convenient. And the truth is, look, if that's what it takes for us to get people back to, to, to living their lives, whether it's at work or in their family, and that's kind of an easy thing to do. And the other thing I'm really, we're, we're really uh, fortunate, uh, Brian, is that Texas's fatality rate for COVID is extremely low. Uh, in fact, uh, we are 16 times uh, more safer in our COVID fatality rates than New, New York and New Jersey. And in fact, what's interesting is you look at the 10 biggest states with COVID cases, the five reopening states, Texas, Florida, California, uh, Georgia, and uh, Arizona, have by far the safer fatality rates than the lockdown states, New Jersey, New York, Illinois, Massachusetts, uh, and Pennsylvania. And so, uh, look, I, I know Governor Cuomo is, is patting himself on the back, you know, a lot these days. But I'll tell you, I just got another text from a friend you and I know in, in New Jersey area you know, locked down for four months. I don't know how these businesses are going to survive, and I don't know how those workers are ever going to get back. Yeah. 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 And you can look, we want, we want to, we're going to reopen uh, safely, responsibly. There's no question they can do that. You can have, you can achieve, we can achieve healthy lives and a healthy economy, but just locking people down and forcing them into home confinement right now, it just isn't the answer. Trump's COVID scandal makes what Nixon did at Watergate look innocent. Nobody died in the Watergate scandal. Thousands of people are going to die in this COVID scandal. And that is all the difference in the world. You look at the facts, the facts clearly demonstrate Trump was wrong from day one. And New Yorkers have been right from day one. Yeah. So, boy, what a difference. 
So when when America faced uh, swine flu uh, under President Obama, what did what did Republicans do? Mitch McConnell started off saying, we'll do whatever it takes to help this administration succeed. And we did exactly that. We focused on it. We didn't make it political. We worked together. It's been exactly the opposite here. And for Joe Biden, who's frankly done nothing but but hide in his basement uh, and read from a from a teleprompter, uh, has done nothing. And so for him to criticize the president and blame blame this president for COVID-19 deaths while he leaves China off the hook. They, they, they originated this. Uh, they covered it up. Uh, they, rele- they delayed important information that could have saved lives uh, and at times have restricted the medicines and the medical supplies the rest of the world needs. And so, so, so Biden's blaming our president, who's leading this effort uh, and letting China off the hook. That's exactly you. You just saw what what Joe Biden would do if, God forbid, he's ever in the White House again. Let China off the hook and blame political enemies. When Donald Trump thinks about climate change, the only word he can muster is hoax. When I think about climate change. The word I think of is jobs, good paying, union jobs. When Donald Trump thinks about renewable energy, he sees windmills somehow causing cancer. When I think about these windmills, I see American manufacturing, American workers racing to dominate the global market. Yeah, there is. I tell you what, today is tax day. It seems odd, July 15th be tax day. And by the way, you can file for an extension. You do get interest on your refunds. And if you can do it online, do it online. We still don't have all the IRS workers back. But boy, there is no better contrast. In fact, Joe Biden just laid out his, quote, economic vision. I have to tell you, he is befuddled about the U.S. economy or certainly the modern day economy. President Trump, tax reform, balanced regulation, pro-growth, He's all about more jobs and bigger paychecks. Biden's economic and tax plan raises taxes on everyone. I don't care if you're a family, a single mom, a small business. You're a U.S. manufacturer. Your taxes are going up. And every expert who's looked at this plan has said fewer jobs and smaller paychecks. And we're going to go back to the Biden economy, Obama-Biden economy, the worst recovery in our lifetimes and you're going to trust that guy with one of our most challenging economic uh, uh, situations we've seen in a long, long time. Makes no sense. Yeah. And uh, so I think you got to look at your personal circumstances. you got to look at your surroundings. you got to decide if that's right for you. And I'm a firm believer that that's, uh, at this point, a personal, a personal choice. And uh, I encourage people, if they want to wear a mask, to wear a mask. But... Uh, I, I don't wear a mask all that often, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I got to disagree with that. Uh, look, we know we know what's already driven these COVID cases down in the hospitalizations. This isn't guesswork anymore, uh, and it's so easy to do. Look, I think about um, getting getting people back to their lives, getting this economy going, uh, again, um, 
uh, getting people back into their jobs. Look, that is the strength for President Trump. Uh, that's the strength for Republicans heading into this election. Uh, so I think, you know, I don't like wearing masks. And frankly, I don't like being told what to do. But those common sense, smart behaviors can help us return to our lives sooner. That one's easy. No, uh, look, it's, it's, uh, we're a competitive state uh, these days, but President Trump has strong support here. So he's going to have to work it hard, as he always uh, does. But, but Biden, look, um, I can't think of anyone more disastrous for Texas. Open borders, uh, killing our oil and gas industry, uh, repealing the tax cuts on working families, and then uh, making it harder for our, our local manufacturers to compete and win around the world. I mean, start to send those jobs back overseas. I can't think of anything worse. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, I really do believe if the American public all embrace masking now, um, and we really did it, you know, rigorously, maybe more like uh, like the German citizens. The Germans say everyone isolate. I think they got a lot of cooperation. You know, when we probably... Uh, isolated. We probably had less than half the American public uh, do it. I think if we could get everybody to wear a mask right now, I really do think over the next four, six, eight weeks, we could bring this epidemic under control. Hey, Brian, thanks. Hey, I, I firmly believe all these numbers are being, of cases are being manipulated here in Texas as well, and evidence is starting to come out. I heard Rick uh, Perry, Governor Rick Perry, our former governor of Texas, last week on Voice of Texas, and someone asked him, he was in an interview, and he was, actually he was giving accounting of the Houston Medical Center hospitals and how well they're doing and all the um, good innovative things that they're doing. And he said, and he was asked, well, do you remember when the Hong Kong flu epidemic blew through here in the 1960s? And he said, he paused, he said, no, I really don't remember. It wasn't really reported much, and but our hospitals handled it just fine. And and what I want to say is, this is what happens when you get dress up bureaucrats in lab coats and start letting them direct decisions. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You have some of these labs not reporting the negatives, only reporting the positives, skewing these numbers, like uh, Orlando Health saying 98% when it was really only 9 or Orlando VA saying 76% when it was really only 6%. 
they're messing with the truth. They're not allowing information that allows Americans to manage their own risk, manage their own health and make the decisions that they need to make according to the risks that are that uh, that are imposed mm-hmm. by the people that live in their family. Do they have seniors in their family or somebody with cystic fibrosis or something else? They're not having that opportunity to make the, the real truthful decisions that they need. Robert Kururama is an Emmy Award winning uh, reporter for Fox 35 Orlando and broke this story about the numbers being so off for Orlando Health, Orlando Veterans Medical Center. I'm talking about they report 76 percent of positive tests. It's actually six. Orlando Health says 98 percent of tests were positive. It's actually 9.4. How big is this problem? Robert, welcome back. Brian, thank you. Glad to be on. How did you how did you get into this story? So, yeah, we were tipped off that some of these numbers looked kind of fishy. So I started digging through the state's daily report where they have a breakdown of all of the testing labs across the state. And I quickly noticed that there were dozens of labs, hospitals that were reporting 100 percent positivity rate, which to, you know, to me, that means every single person tested at those sites came back positive and that couldn't be possible uh you know by looking at that and you know they have a, a column for negative test results for many of these labs there were zero negative test results reported so that also raised another flag to me how is it possible every single person was testing positive what did you find out so we reached out, and I, my, of course, I sent off a, an email to the state asking them what's going on here. Uh, but I, I wanted to kind of corroborate that with local hospitals. So I reached out to uh, our major hospitals on the list, Orlando Health, the Orlando VA, and now Advent Health, our, our third major hospital in the area. And all three to this point have now confirmed that there were errors on the report. Their numbers weren't being, re- being reflected accurately. Uh, and so that that uh, then gave me some more firepower, taking the question to the state, what's going on here? Finally, yesterday, after several requests, the state responding that some smaller labs, private labs, were not reporting any negative results. This is stunning to me. Did anyone identify to your satisfaction what the disconnect was? Uh, you know, there, there hasn't been an explanation as to why this is happening or why these smaller labs. Now, uh, you know, we, we, we're talking about Orlando Health, a major hospital system in, in the Orlando area. They have, they said they have 11 different labs that are reporting on behalf of their hospital system. So perhaps some of these labs, there's some kind of glitch that isn't getting these numbers to the state. Uh, you know, we also reached out because I, I wanted to find a lab that was one. 100% positivity. That obviously was not one of the local major hospitals. But Lee Memorial, out of the Fort Myers area, they did have a 100% positivity rate. So I reached out to them and asked them what's going on. They actually had no idea that their negative results weren't making it to the state. They tell me that they believe the issue is on the state's retrieving uh, system, gathering these, these negative results. And, and you know, they were trying to figure out what went wrong, and they don't think it's on their end. Okay, so we're getting closer. Are you going to pursue this beyond Central Florida, even though that's where you're located? 
Uh, I mean, this is really a state story. We're trying to figure out, you know, why there's these accuracies uh, on this state report. Uh, and so we are, that's what we're working on today, trying to get the state to answer these questions. Uh, you know, what's going on here? You're saying it's these labs uh, not reporting, but some of these labs are saying they're sending you their numbers and you're just not getting them and reporting them on this report. So we're trying to get down to the bottom of it. Uh, they, uh, I just received an email from the DOH, and they are looking into my questions. Hopefully they can get those answered for me because there's still a lot of confusion. And really, you know, uh, I keep getting messages from folks saying, is this really, in the grand scheme of things, is this going to change the state positivity rate? And, you know, Brian, it may or may not. They're, they're, you know, we're talking about smaller labs reporting that are just gathering hundreds you know, in the hundreds as far as test results. So it may not, in the grand scheme of things, change the positivity rate, maybe just a few points, if anything. But the issue here is we use these numbers daily to make important decisions, reopening the economy, keeping the economy shut down. Uh, our governor, DeSantis, constantly referring to these numbers. So these numbers should be accurate. They should be uh, transparent and, and accurate. And that, and that is what I'm seeking is to get these numbers fixed and get them uh, to be accurate so that we can rely on them and trust these numbers from the state. Well, I mean, things really change quickly. Governor DeSantis was saying, I have only no cases. We've made the precautions. Looks like we're out of the woods. What happened? Yeah, yeah, that, that's again, that is what we're trying to get to the bottom of is what went wrong here. Why, why did these, how, you know, the state requires these labs to report both positive and negative. That's a requirement of the state, it says. Uh, but again, something right. fell through the cracks. But Robert, I'm, just in the big picture, case? why do you have so many more cases? Is it because you went back to the bars and restaurants, as some say? Uh, um, what do you think it is? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to weigh in on that. You know, obviously, we started seeing the numbers tick up as uh, we started to reopen. Uh, you know, here in Orlando, we had a bar that was by the University of Central Florida uh, area that was shut down because of a major outbreak there. So, uh, yeah, you could say that, that was a, that's one of the reasons. But, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it, I'm sure it's several factors involved here. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Uh, for you guys, uh, people wearing masks now? Uh, it, it, and some counties are mandating it. It is still not a statewide mandate. Uh, you know, we're, uh, walking around, you're seeing the majority of people wearing masks, but still there are some who uh, do not want to and do not feel it, it, it is uh, necessary. Do you think the governor's paying a price now that it's surging again? Do you think the president could pay a price if they can't get a hold of this pandemic? We definitely got to get control of the numbers. You know, we're seeing those numbers tick up and up and up, and we definitely got to bring those down. Uh, I, I think that's the consensus. Everyone, no one wants to see the numbers where they are. Everyone wants to see the numbers start to trend downward. So that, that's what we're looking for. Here's Dr. Charles Lockwood. Here's what he told Laura Ingram last night about something key, and that's the fatality rate in Florida. Cut 30. We should now be seeing a much higher case fatality rate. You know, it's been predicted that our case fatality rate would kind of do a U and, and be heading back up. It's not. In fact, today in Tampa, in Hillsborough County, our case fatality rate was 0.9%. Point, that's less than 1%. So that's the lowest, I think, in the United States. Um, and every day I wake up, I check the numbers, and it's been dropping. So the fatality rate is strong. Hospitalization, I understand, is getting stressed. What areas do you see? Because I hear it's Tampa and Miami-Dade. 
Right. That's what we're seeing. You know, they're, they're calling uh, Miami the new epicenter uh, of, the, of the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, yeah, so we're seeing that. You know, luckily here in the Orlando metro area, we've, uh, we, we've kind of uh, steered clear of those major uh, numbers. But again, yeah, that's what we're seeing the hotspots down south. Uh, you know, the beaches have been closed down for uh, holiday weekends and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not seeing uh, those, those case numbers at least change. Robert Gurdurama, uh, congratulations on a great story. It's getting a lot of traction, and I look forward to the next wave of the, your story, not of the virus. Robert, thank you. You bet. one 866 So the story behind those numbers, uh, there might be actually fictional, but it is something you got it in Florida to take it so everything serious. Listen, I'll come back with your phone calls. We'll go back to Tampa, find out what it's like on the ground. I got calls from Nebraska, uh, Long Island, and Houston as well. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Now, it's time to go over to my good friend, possibly my only real friend. He's got great hair that he's been uh, ready to go since about 6 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) The great Sean Hannity. Right, Sean, one, one unlike last Tucker, thing. I'm giving you 11 seconds. My I'm fa- going to give you that's 11 right. seconds. That's because you're a radio guy. You know what it means to hit that post. Don't miss it. Uh, so if you're wearing that same outfit at 6 a.m. tomorrow, trust me, you're going to hear about it tomorrow night. All right? That's all I'm going to say. Because it seems like I'm, three hours I'm, of radio, three hours of Fox and Friends, Kill Meat on, uh, Outnumbered, Kill Meat on the Fight. It's like the, the Kill Meat Network. <laughs> Uh, anyway, great job. You know tonight. what, Sean? Let me just take your show. I'll see you soon. <laughs> Listen, few years, it's all yours. You know, who knows? I might run for president. You never know. That'll scare people. Uh, anyway, Brian, everyone thank else you. is. <laughs> uh, I mean, not Kanye West anymore, by the way. Kanye West just bowed out. That was a great run. Uh, that was uh, my interaction with Sean Hannity last night. I got out early, twenty seconds early. Uh, from Tucker's show, filling in for the great Tucker Carlson, and I was able to give it to Sean. He did not know what to do with it early. He could not believe I was going to him early. And I just think that um, he deserved the extra time. But that's just me. Uh, we're going to get to the phones right now. Cliff is listening in Nebraska. Hey, Cliff. Hey, good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. What's in your mind? Hey, I am, I am so sick and tired of the federal government uh, putting their nose in our private lives where it doesn't belong. I drive over the road. I live in Missouri, and uh, three days ago, my wife went to the, the urgent care because she was feeling sick, and doctors called yesterday and said that she had corona. So I called our emergency room at our local hospital, and I said, hey, um, is it possible she can get a prescription for hydrochloroquine uh, to maybe help ease her uh, symptoms so this thing doesn't progress? And I was told by the emergency room that they are under orders by the CDC that they are not to give any medication at all for corona unless you go to the hospital and are admitted. So I said to, I said to them, I said, what you're telling me is that until she's bad enough to where she has to be admitted into a hospital where she can't breathe or she needs to be intubated, that you're not to give her any give her any medication according to the CDC. And they said that was correct. So I said, so not only could she not keep her doctor, now the CDC and the federal government is getting in between a decision 
between a patient and her and their doctor. Yeah, the only thing I'm thinking of is if they need observation, hydroxychloroquine, but that's another thing. That has been politicized when almost everybody study shows that hitting early hydroxychloroquine really is effective in moving through the symptoms. And if you don't have to observe I have seen no reason to put pressure on a hospital to take people in who are borderline because it takes up another bed. Now, in Nebraska, it's not bad, but if it's in Houston, it's a problem. So, Cliff, how is your wife? She's pretty sick. Um, she, she's, she doesn't have the racing of the heart or uh, real bad breathing problems right now, but she's very sick. She, first, she thought it was allergies coming on, but, but she's, ha- she, she's by herself. And she said, well, I said, I'm at the, I said what's going to happen if she gets to the point to where – um, she needs to go to the hospital. I'm afraid she's not going to be able to drive herself. And they said, well, call an ambulance. Well, an ambulance bills about $7,000. Um, and we live in a rural area. And she said, you're welcome to call any other hospital in this area. It doesn't matter. She said, nationally, that's what we've been instructed to do by the CDC. And I, I'm sorry, I think Fauci is a joke. Um, I have no confidence in, in what he says. Um, he's changed his mind so many times, and I'm just livid that, that this woman is unable to get any help uh, because the yeah. federal government is putting their nose in where it doesn't belong. Cliff, let me ask something. If you can get fitted for an N95 mask, why wouldn't you use it and bring her? That's true. So. You know what? I, I drive, and I go to a lot of Sam's Clubs and Walmart distribution centers to deliver, and before I even get out of my truck, they come over to my door they, they do a temperature check on me. Yep. They ask me a series of questions. And if I don't have a mask, they give me one. And I haven't missed a day's work since all of this started, running as hard as, as we possibly can uh, to keep the, the uh, distribution chain going. And th- this has been the protocol for months uh, with some of these big distribution centers. And as long as some common sense is used, um, I really don't see a problem um, you know, with, with how things are being run. Gotcha. I do got a big problem with, with, a, with a bureaucrat in government telling me or telling my hospital that they can't give my wife any prescription. And, you know, it's sulfur. That uh, hydrochloroquine is a sulfur drug. It's very safe. It's been around for 50 years. And if it's taken, taken according to the dosage, um, it's safe. And I'm just ticked off that this is the, the, um, the, the, the avenue that they're pursuing and keeping people getting any help. Uh, I hope she gets better. Please keep us up to date. Uh, and, of course, call your general practitioner and see if you can get some advice for people that know her and know you. Marty, listen on WABC in New Jersey. Marty. How you doing, Brian? I really enjoy your show. I'm a retired physician. There's an issue about the money that nobody's brought up. You know, the insurance companies in New York, New Jersey, donate Lots of money to Cuomo and Murphy, and the government brought in the the hospital ship. They retrofitted the Javits Center, but the insurance companies weren't going to get reimbursed for those uh, hospital stays. You can't take a patient from a hospital, bring them to the the Javits Center, and get reimbursed for it. The whole issue was to continue the reimbursement, and they were going to get reimbursed to the nursing home. Nobody's following the money. I believe the money is the issue. It's always about the money. Hey, Marty, you cost the federal government. Has to investigate that. Thank you very much. I think the federal government played a bundle to convert, to get the uh, Army Corps of Engineers there, to convert the Javits Center, then convert it again for COVID positive patients, and then take, give the ship, and then convert it again for COVID positive patients. We're on the hook for that money. And then the ventilators we built in 
consent, they don't need them. So they're sending them out. We're on the hook for that money. And I know what you're saying. Uh, I'm amazed that the governor of New York is actually taking a bow today, saying they did everything right when 30,000 people, 25,000 people are dead. It's incredible to me. Brian, listen on WRCN in Long Island. Brian. Brian, it's definitely all about the money. I had a coworker whose wife did a telehealth visit with a local clinic in Selden, New York, and she had poison ivy. They gave her what she needed for her poison ivy, and then they said to her, if, if we write this up as COVID, you won't have to pay your copay. And she said, okay, fine. She saved her $25 copay, and they didn't get paid $25. I'm pretty sure they made a lot more than $25 on that by writing it up copay. And, and maybe that's the reason why the numbers are so skewed in Florida. The mortality rates are going down, right? But yep. the, the, positive tests, the positive tests are going up. Texas, too. Uh, and good news is the, the curve is bending in Arizona. Good point. I will look into that. Andy, Fox app, Otisville, New York. Andy. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. Love the show. So, yeah, I'm an ER nurse in here, here in upstate New York, and we haven't seen an actual admission for COVID it's probably been six weeks or so. We've seen some, you know, some incidental positive cases, people coming to the ER for, uh, you know, for other things. But uh, and we find out they have COVID because they need admission for like an appendectomy or something like that. We have to test them before they go to the OR and come to find out they're positive, but no symptoms from the actual disease itself. So the other yeah. thing, I was listening to Cliff, you know, talk, and I don't know why the urgent care that he went to, with his, where his wife went to, just didn't give her the hydroxychloroquine Quinn from there. Yeah. Uh, you, so uh, in other words, you can't come to the ER and just ask for hydroxychloroquine. Quinn. It's got to be done between your doctor or a doctor that has examined, you know, you, and they can write the prescription. So one other quick thing, Brian. I know you have a deaf dog. I have a deaf dog myself. Was able to uh, some hand signals, and and I used a light on the outside to uh, alert her that it's time to come in or, you that, know, That's a like great that. idea. Uh, my deaf dog is a genius. We even forget he's deaf. That's how smart he is. Uh, is. If you have an opportunity, do what Andy did, do what I did, grab the deaf dog. Uh, they compensate in a major way. Thanks so much, Andy. Now, from the historical audio archives of Fox News Talk. In January of 1960, John F. Kennedy announced that he would seek the presidency of the United States, which he won on November 8, 1960, in a narrow victory over Richard Nixon. At 43, he became the youngest U.S. president. In the past 40 months, I have toured every state in the Union, and I have talked to Democrats in all walks of life. My candidacy is therefore based on the conviction that I can win both the nomination and the election. I believe that the Democratic Party has a historic function to perform in the winning of the 1960 election, comparable to the 1932 election. I intend to do my utmost to see that that victory is won. Stay tuned to hear more history as it unfolds before your ears. It's the audio archives of Fox News Talk. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilby. Thanks so much for listening. Brett Baer coming up at the bottom of the hour, and we're going to be talking to you at 1 866 408 7669. Of course, the war on crime uh, is trying to continue, but we're losing it. We're losing it in Minneapolis. We're losing it in Portland. We're losing it in Seattle. We're losing it uh, in New York and Philadelphia. And 
it's not subsiding. And what's happening in New York is really, once again, the central point, uh, point of the problem. And you have a situation where a bunch of these precincts are not only depleted, but they're also flying blind because of this 600 anti-crime force, which was disbanded, meaning there's nobody who's doing double duty, who is pretending to be on the street, who's in plain clothes trying to infiltrate would-be gang activity or legal activity in order to point precincts in the right direction. Therefore, it's the Wild West, and shootings are up 400 uh, percent in New York alone. And in terms of kids being killed, there's, oh, there's been 20 under 10 killed already this year. Not targeted, caught in the crossfire, I would assume. This has got to end. And now we're finding out most of this stuff is organized in Minneapolis, in Portland, and we know the autonomous zone. And who knows who's behind. I know who was behind in New York. They thought it was organized. I'm not sure now. Uh, you'll hear about that. We're also, uh, we also um, have good news. Allison is back. She is almost in studio. And she is going to be playing a role. She had at least two kids. She's got three overall, according to reports. And we look to get details on that at any point uh, during the show. Allison, can can you confirm any of these stats? I confirm the twins arrived and I confirm there's a third kid as well. (laughs) Oh, really? So is it going well? It's going very well. And not to jinx it, I mean, the babies are... um, They'll be four months on the 18th, and uh, they, they've been sleeping through the night for weeks and weeks now. So dare I say a story that we'll see in the morning, know that people are sleeping more during the pandemic. I say that is true, <laughs> even with infants. That is very interesting. So a boy and a girl, and you already had a son, so you, you're sold out. Uh, congratulations. Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll see. So Allison's back, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. No rendering on that poster of criticism that Governor Cuomo ignored warnings. No painting there on the poster of his since rescinded order that nursing homes take all infected patients in. Uh, That is Jake Tapper calling out Governor Cuomo, who inexplicably is taking a COVID-19 bow. Meanwhile, the numbers are just in and adding up in and not adding up in Florida. I know there are cases. I know it's surging, but the numbers are so off. An enterprising reporter on a Fox 35 affiliate just came up with some facts and they're nothing like what's been put out. We'll discuss it. Number two. When Donald Trump thinks about climate change. The only word he can muster is hoax. Joe Biden gave a speech in which he said that the core of his economic agenda is a hard left crusade against American energy. He wants to kill American energy. Trump versus Biden. Finally, I get the sense we're in a presidential race as the candidates take aim at each other while talking about the corona energy taxes in country. Number one. I think that one thing that's overlooked in this when we talk about cancel culture, right, is that the people who are inoculated from it are people that are already extremely successful and can take the risk. That is so true. The cancel culture. You started it. Now deal with it. The cancel culture takes another one out of their own. A liberal editor at the New York Times calls it quits because of bullying and calls out their employer because they don't like diversity of thought, verifying every suspicion about fairness and that paper that the president's brought up that you talked about, that we talked about. They believe, according to this now uh, editor who's left the organization, that Twitter is the most important thing to the New York Times. It's intolerance, and it's a self-important generation, and they are now in charge. And unless you're Clint Eastwood, impervious to political views, or John Voight, such a good actor that nobody can walk away from you, 
Unless you're Stephen Colbert when they try to cancel you or Jimmy Kimmel, you have so much power and street cred you are able to withstand it, you're screwed if you're an editor out of nowhere. And that's what this editor did. And I'll just give you an idea. Uh, I know you probably don't know who she is and probably uh, never sought to find out who she is. But just know this. She is left. She cried, reportedly, according to her, she cried at her desk when Donald Trump won the election. So she's in the perfect place, wouldn't you think? So she wanted to get in touch with a country that put Donald Trump in office. And she knew that the New York Times missed it. They missed who was winning. They missed where the mood of the country was. They missed the fact that he would go out and win 30 states. Yeah, he won states just barely in Wisconsin and Michigan. We know that. And in Pennsylvania. But he won them. And they finally admitted it. So they wanted to get back in touch with that mindset. And that's why Barry Weiss was hired to work under James Bennett, who was the editorial, the editor of the opinion page, and quit. Barry Weiss is now in. Why did James Bennett quit? Because he had this wild idea of publishing Tom Cotton, a sitting senator, infantryman, Ivy League grad, who believed the president should use troops to bring back calm in Minneapolis. The resignation letter is extraordinary. It says everything that Donald Trump suspected and that you always thought. In a resignation letter, she says this. A new consensus has emerged in the press, but perhaps especially at this paper. The truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but as an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job is to inform everyone else. So she's being sarcastic. She says Twitter is not on the masthead of The New York Times, but Twitter has become the ultimate editor as the ethics and mores of that platform have become those of the paper. The paper itself has increasingly become a kind of performance space. Stories are chosen and told in a way to satisfy the narrowest of audiences rather than to allow a curious public to read about the world and then draw their own conclusions. Kind of what we do here, what this network has always done, which ticks off the president sometimes and tickles the president other times, which makes people feel comfortable to come on here and work here like Juan Williams and feel, uh, and feel comfortable to criticize both sides like Neil Cavuto. Back to her words. I was always taught that journalists were, were charged with writing the first draft of history. Now, history itself is one more thing molded to fit the needs of a predetermined narrative. And she went on. Uh, Evidently, she likes Israel. How dare she? She wrote this in her letter. My own forays into wrong think have made me the subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree with my views. They have called me a Nazi and a racist. I have learned to brush off comments about how I'm writing about the Jews again. Several colleagues perceived it to be friendly with me were badgered by co-workers. My work and my character were openly demeaned on company-wide Slack channels where masthead editors regularly weigh in. Can you believe this? I mean, and this is the Me Too movement. This is a female in the workplace, and you're treating her like that in a magazine that likes to st- – in a newspaper that likes destroying people for rumored behavior like this, let alone proven behavior like that. So Andrew Sullivan also announced his departure from New York Magazine. Rumors is they're going to team up together. He's a conservative, doesn't like Trump. Prominent conservative commentator Andrew Sullivan announced Tuesday he'll move on from New York Magazine. And now uh, he said this. The reasons for leaving are self-evident. He did not elaborate further, promising an in-depth explanation on the final piece uh, for the magazine. Uh, On the same day, the day before... You had Oliver Stone, the uh, famed director, say everything's got to be politically correct in Hollywood. 
Really? He says we have to have a COVID advisor. We have to have a psychological advisor on the set. Everyone's got their limitations. They keep changing the rules. Welcome to the world you created. You've been so critical of the rest of the world because we're not up to your high ideals and we don't have the performance and psyche that you have. And now all that sanctimony is boomeranging back at you. When you are a central left editor who has an opinion column and also edits other columns and you can't exist in a liberal workplace, you get what you deserve. Ayan Hirsch Ali. She's a human rights activist who's been brutalized in the past and sacrificed so much. She was asked to weigh in by Martha McCallum last night. Cut three. I think she is the stuff that courage is made of. I think she understands that we are at a crossroads here in America and in other civilized Western countries. This is about Western civilization. And I think we are transitioning from being open societies to becoming closed societies and Martha, you ask me what defines an open society? It's freedom. What defines what defines a closed society? It's fear. And it looks like the New York Times newsroom and opinion pages are adopting fear. Not here. You can say whatever you want. Got people calling up, criticizing uh, me all the time, disagreeing. It's totally welcome. The whole channel's like that. And that is why in a very polarized country, Fox continues to be number one. The show continues to have success because I don't have to be right. I'll research. I'll have my opinion. But I think what makes the show cool, which makes the network great, is we've got all opinions. Who likes just hearing an echo chamber? It makes no sense. It's not intriguing at all. Maybe it's reassuring to a degree, but it's not intriguing. You like to have your ideas pushed. We used to be open to debate and see if you can win that debate. Dean Kane has been in uh, over 170 films. He says he's seen this thing happen. He's a conservative, former football player, obviously uh, a star in television, and he's had a lot of success in movies, but he's also been knocked out of a lot of movie roles because he gets like, get this, likes the president and supported President Bush. Cut to. This whole cancel culture thing is a cancer. It's awful. It's terrible. I'm 100% behind what Ricky Gervais says. Free speech needs to be protected and the and the speech you don't like needs to be protected. I, I'm open to hear everyone's point of view and I think everybody should be. Twitter being the cancel culture and those people getting out there and trying to get everybody fired. I've been the subject of numerous attacks over my beliefs or my support for President Trump or or just literally anything. I've got attacked for this this gaming chair I sit in. I think it's got to stop and I just don't understand what I always thought the rules were going to be is if there were older people that have been around for 20, 30 years, they didn't want to change. And when people came in with new ideas, they'd be sidelined. Even if they were brilliant 20-year-olds, the next Steve Jobs, they'd be sidelined and pushed aside because people felt threatened by them. Somehow this is reversed where the older people with experience are afraid of younger people who maybe have more energy but have a head full of steam and ignorance to their ignorance. Let's change gears so you have something else to talk about. And we'll talk about the coronavirus, which is the number one issue in the world, remains the number one issues in the country. Uh, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask. Uh, I assume we should do it. We were told it could help if you're sick and make sure no one else gets sick because you're sick. Okay, got it. Now they say if you wear it, you might be able to stop from being sick if you wear that. Really? Okay, that's a new one. The L.A. Times writes yesterday, now if you get the virus through your mask, it will not be as severe if you're wearing your mask. Okay, I never knew that. That's new. 
What is this, July? Yeah. When did we start this? February? Now, I know we don't know everything, but you're not talking about microbes that can only be seen through the Hubble telescope. Uh, we are talking about basic things. we got the smartest people in the world telling us to wash our hands. Thanks. So, Eric, do we have Ronnie Jackson from today? Ronnie Jackson won his primary. He's going to be a congressman from Texas. He was a doctor to three, at least three presidents, a rear admiral. So he was asked on Fox and Friends today about masks, all right, because the governor of Texas is wear a mask. Listen to what Dr. Ronnie Jackson said. And uh, so I think you got to look at your personal circumstances. you got to look at your surroundings. you got to decide if that's right for you. And I'm a firm believer that that's, uh, at this point, a personal, a personal choice. And uh, I encourage people, if they want to wear a mask, to wear a mask. But uh, I, I don't wear a mask all, all that often, to be honest with you. Okay. So I, don't, I, I know most of the people listening right now uh, don't have to wear a lab coat for a living. So we depend on these people to tell us what to do, and we pretend our leaders to weigh the scientists with the economists, uh, with the domestic policy advisors, and come up with a plan. This is what drives the president crazy. I know there are no absolutes. We're not children. But this is not something that you, you should be splitting hairs with. It should be yes or no. And school well, we got to work to get our kids in school. Well, you know, I'm in a hot spot. I don't know. We should do this. How are we going to get our kids in school? Orange County, California, we're doing it. Uh, in New York, we're, we're on target. In Los Angeles, we're not. Why? Well, it's a hot spot. Okay, I understand, but why? Well, we want Obamacare. We want Medicare for all. We want to eliminate to fund police. Wait a second. You're the LA Unified School District Union. Why do you sound like Bernie Sanders' campaign advisor? They list 10 things that have nothing to do with keeping schools safe, have nothing to do with class sizes or directions in which they should walk in the hall or the times in which they should go to school or the subjects in which they should go or the senior teachers that might be worried. They're worried about politics. That's where the president sits back and says, I'm not going to talk to my political advisor. They're playing politics. They want to keep the country on its economic back. So Joe Biden takes over a country because we're just dying for change. Even though it's become abundantly clear, he is propped up literally in his basement, kept away until Donald Trump can close the gap in these electoral battleground states. And that's what it's going to take. one 408 Brett Baer in 10 minutes. You're next. And we'll find out if there's indeed more to know. We have a lot more to discuss. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's this new weird sort of fascism of people thinking they know what you can say and what you can't. And it's a really weird thing that there's this new trendy myth that people who want free speech want it to say awful things all the time. This just isn't true. It protects everyone. That is Ricky Gervais, and he is protected. He's that famous, that successful. He also went on to say that the office, which he created and is so funny with Steve Carell, he doesn't think he could do it now because it is so funny because they break all the rules. Just like All in the Family is so funny because they break all the rules. Jefferson was so funny because they talk about uh, 
how how racially insensitive it is or racist it is, but they use humor. That was the 70s and 80s, and this was only a few years ago. The Office is probably the number one syndicated show outside Seinfeld's in the country. I mean, for for us, the only thing we could do is not cancel people because you don't agree. I don't care if it's Michael Moore or or John Voight. I mean, you could decide. You know, Robert De Niro is so out of his mind, is so blatantly vulgar. I'm not going to watch a movie. That's fine. But don't demand he resign from acting because you don't like him. Peter, listen, I KFNX in Mesa, Arizona. Peter. Hi, good morning. I wanted to just interject something that uh, I think was a little bit of misinformation, and that's regarding the virus uh, and the use of a mask. If the mask uh, even lets a little bit of that virus through, you're going to get sick. If you don't have immunity, that thing's going to grow like crazy, and you are going to get wildly sick. Most people have a fairly decent uh, immune system so that when a new virus gets in there, they get a little sick and then their body handles it. But those who are weakened by various other comorbidities, such as diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, things of that nature, they're going to get a little more sick, and some of them will, in fact, get very sick and die. And there's not much you're going to do about it if there's no ready vaccine or their immune system isn't boosted immediately. So having a mask will benefit you some, but if that virus gets through, it's all in your immune system and nothing more. Yeah, Peter, I just was talking about a report from two days ago in the L.A. Times that said it might make it less severe. Uh, But we learn something every day, and I sit back and say, okay, just find a way to get through this. And the good news is the vaccine is getting closer, and that's why the market's surging today. Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Mr. President, please listen to your public health experts instead of denigrating them. He opposed my very strict travel ban. Xenophobic, he called me. But if we had listened to Joe Biden, hundreds of thousands of additional lives would have been lost. I see American manufacturing, American workers racing to dominate the global market. America lost nearly 10,000 factories while Joe Biden was vice president. One in five miles of our highways are still in, quote, poor condition, according to the American engineers. Why didn't he fix them? He was there for eight years with President Obama. Why didn't they fix them? Uh, that is uh, the president going back and forth with Joe Biden. It's the closest thing is traditional campaign we have seen or I've heard in quite some time, although doing it in the Rose Garden uh, was quite unusual. From China, we're going to sanction you to Joe Biden. You're out of touch. Brett Baer is chief political anchor for Fox News, fresh off television, getting set to go back on at six uh, for a special report. Uh, Brett, were you surprised the president had uh, was so long in the in the Rose Garden yesterday? Took so much of your show, by the way. <laughs> and were you surprised how he went directly at Joe Biden? You know, I wasn't surprised because obviously uh, every network took Biden earlier in the day. Um, so there was going to be some pushback. I guess the the venue was, was a little surprising. It was not a Q&A. He was clearly meant to say what he said about China and then turn to kind of a refutation of what he called Democrat agenda points. And, you know, as a campaign tool, it was really pretty effective uh, if you went down point by point and... That's what he does in campaign rallies. 
um, and he does it. He does it effectively. The thing that was unusual, obviously, was the setting and at the White House in the Rose Garden. It's just not traditionally done. It is the president's prerogative. It's his uh, discretion. Uh, for all the people that were screaming on social media that it's illegal, uh, it's not. There are. You know, administration officials and government officials can't campaign on government property. It's called the Hatch Act. It prevents that. But the president's exempt from that. And um, I simply pointed out that, you know, had it been the other way around, obviously Republicans would probably be crowing about it. Right. What's it going to take for Joe Biden to start campaigning regularly? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, he has been has been giving these speeches, uh, but he doesn't take questions, really. He The last time, I guess it was last week, at the beginning of the week, uh, he took a few questions, and that was the first time he had taken questions in something like 90 days. Um, so, you know, the contrast in accessibility and transparency is pretty big uh, when it comes to not only interviews, but uh, the ability of reporters to get things answered by the president or the former vice president. Yeah, I think that I think it has a lot to do. He's got to close the gap. He's got to force him out. And my analogy is football. If you are trailing by a lot and you got to get your, the other team to pass, you got to get close close to scoring and make them put the ball in the air. Right now, he has no reason to put the ball in the air. Exactly. So I think, it, but you know, the other sports analogy is that if you go with a prevent defense. Uh, oftentimes, the other team comes back yes. because you're off for your game. You're you're just in a prevent defense and you forget how to score. And, um, I, you know, I, there's, I bet you we could do about five or six sports analogies. Uh, I would think six or seven. Uh, that's where we're different. <laughs> and I bet that it really is. But you know, so many times I must pop into your head because you do so much politics and you handle all the coverage. There is sports. I mean, oh, yeah. the, the strategy to win a game, how you execute that, how you're going to work out your opponent, and of course, finding out what your audience wants. Uh, and what your audience wants is a cure to the pandemic. I think that's pretty overwhelmingly correct. I think Chris Steyerwald is 100% correct here on that. And if there's no cure, show you're engaged. Uh, I don't think it's unusual to use a vice president to show you're engaged, but I think the president's got to do it more directly, don't you think? Yeah, and which is why uh, the ad that's running for Biden in Texas deals strictly with COVID. And it says, we're going to get through this together. I know you're worried. You know, wear your mask, um, follow the guidelines, and let's get through this. So the spike is happening, uh, and you can talk all about death rates and mortality rates, and that's fine. But you do have hospitalizations going up, and you do have people that are scared in both Texas and Florida. So you do have a change of the political dynamic, and it's not... You know, it doesn't make independents and Republicans or Republicans who are disaffected with Trump uh, super happy that those things are happening. So Biden taps into that by running this ad. And I think COVID is going to be a big thing. Now, the Trump campaign, I think, anxiously wants to get to the contrast points on the other fronts, you know, on immigration, on the economy, on uh, regulations, on what tax structure looks like, on remember the corporate taxes that businesses went overseas and we changed that and they brought them back. They want to get to that, but you, you have to get through COVID to get to that. Do you believe that these debates are going to come up with a series of requirements that's going to make it impossible for Trump to okay them? 
I mean, that's the rumor that the Biden campaign wants to set up stipulations to agree to debates. I think, I think that, I think that there might be political backlash if, if, if there are, he doesn't debate by setting up some straw man or poison pill that, uh, that the Trump campaign can't agree to. I think uh, there may be some, some pushback and some loss, but he may have, you know, look at the numbers and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up. And again, we get to prevent defense. He's just got to win by a little bit in the end. So yesterday... I think significant, I think in our circles, but I think around the country, they should really relate to it. This woman I never met, this editor, Barry Weiss, decides to resign, and she writes a, a long letter on why. And she blames the culture at the New York Times, not only bullying, uh, the way she was treated, the way she, where people who treated her nice were treated, uh, but the idea that everyone's got to get along. And this is a liberal, center to liberal editor of the opinion page. And here is what she said on the Joe Rogan experience about the cancel culture, which she, a weeks later, which she ended up canceling herself and just quitting from the New York Times cut one. I think that one thing that's overlooked in this, when we talk about cancel culture, right, and the social ostracism and the actual firings that can happen when you uh, break with one another orthodoxy, is that the people who are inoculated from it are people that are already extremely successful and can take the risk. It's why Ricky Gervais can be Ricky Gervais. It's why J.K. Yes. Rowling can tweet what she tweeted a few months ago and survive it because they've already accumulated enough capital. The people that I hear from that are completely screwed by it are people like artists and poets and untenured professors who aren't famous and no one knows about and are, you know, having to go with a begging bowl on Patreon or Venmo or whatever to get support after they've, you know, made a bad joke or whatever it is. So, you know, we're in this. You must feel it to a degree. Uh, Did what she say resonate with you? No, definitely. Of course. And more power to her. I mean, um, listen, she's also a proud uh, Jewish woman who said that she was called a Nazi by... (laughs) Some of her colleagues. I mean, it's um, it's we're in a different place, and you know this is what the second um, Editor. editorial person yeah. who left uh, the New York Times in as many months. And um, you know, I, I think there there is a different place, and you know, traditionally that has resonated to somebody like President Trump, who has pushed back against political correctness. I mean, it's really what 2016 had a lot to do about. Um, I don't know if we're going to get to that pendulum swing, in part because we're juggling so many other things, including COVID and, and racial tension as well. Because when Ricky Gervais, you know, makes a joke, you're right. He's so famous, it didn't matter. They went up to Stephen Colbert, but he had so much street cred with liberal causes and liberal groups and famous people, they weren't able to get to him. Jimmy Kimmel on a two-month hiatus, uh, many people would say because he was caught wearing blackface 10 years ago play, or five years ago playing Call Malone. Jimmy Fallon, they went after him for two weeks. He was in two weeks of hell. And these are people not known as right-wing conservatives that they're looking to trip up. So in a way, the liberal culture that is so condemning of those who aren't as affluent, influential, or cultured as them, this bazooka has turned around on them, and they can't stop it. Well, it's definitely taking, taking its toll, and uh, it continues to. And I, I don't know, you know, I think the question is where, 
Where it where goes. Where does it go? And, um, you know, it, it goes to, you know, the question of history. It goes to, you know, as we're talking about statues and Grant and Washington and Jefferson, or as we're talking about, you know, the national anthem. And, um, you know, what happens at the sidelines if we ever get back to the sidelines? Sports. Lastly, uh, Andrew Cuomo, oddly, is taking a bow for his coronavirus handling of the coronavirus. Now that the numbers are down in New York, as if they're not going to come back. We all know there's an excellent chance, sadly, they're going to come back. We saw, we thought Florida, Texas, uh, uh, Georgia, Arizona were out of the woods. They weren't. And we're still not sure exactly why. People could say masks or, or parties. I'm not sure. I don't think anyone is. But Governor Cuomo is doing a victory tour. He even did uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon last night, Cut 21. What phase of dating are you currently in? Zero. I'm at phase zero <laughs> on dating. Uh, this is... There's no duration on phase zero. Yeah, uh, wow. There is no automatic time that you go to phase one. You could stay at phase zero for months, by the way. I think New York City will be fully reopened before I get out of phase <laughs> zero on date. Uh, I thank you so much for your leadership. You were there for us when we needed so you. you get it. This is a millionth interview. And then he has a poster out talking about how they slayed the dragon and climbed the mountain. Of all people, Jake Tapper, with his brother on the roster, says this about the governor of New York. Cut 22. The poster includes references to his daughters and a boyfriend. Little inside jokes. There are no illustrations, however, of the more than 32,000 dead New Yorkers, the highest death toll by far of any state. No rendering on that poster of criticism that Governor Cuomo ignored warnings. No depiction of the study that he could have saved thousands of lives had he and Mayor de Blasio acted sooner. No painting there on the poster of his since rescinded order that nursing homes take all infected patients in. Which cost 6,200 lives. I was astounded by this. By Jake Tapper saying it or by Cuomo both, going both. out? That's why I, I said mean, I, I just got to put this on the yeah. radio. No, listen, I, th- I have more power to, to uh, Jake Tapper and kudos to him. Uh, I think he's a lone voice on this topic uh, on that network. But uh, I think it's important to point out. I mean, it's if you don't follow Janice Dean's Twitter feed, uh, you should because um, – Obviously, she's lost loved ones because of this, and she's very passionate about it. And I think that um, it's it's a little bit uh, unbelievable to see him go out and uh, and tout these successes when New York has the highest death death toll, in part because of those nursing home decisions early on. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, we're going to continue to cover it. We continue to ask those questions, uh, but it's uh, it's interesting that he's doing a victory tour. Brad, uh, something you have an exclusive on, can you help me with? Um, if I wanted to see your son hit a trick shot golf ball into a cup uh, <laughs> over an obstacle, where would I go to find this? <laughs> My Instagram. I posted this uh, American Century, the tournament I played in like last week in Lake Tahoe, had a contest, which was really cool, with trick shots uh, for people to to just show them, post them, and then have a hashtag. And I put mine on uh, Instagram, Paul and Daniel trying. I was the photographer 30 times, uh, but then the 30th try gets it in the cup, and and they get all fired up. So it was uh, was was cool. 
We have it up there. Uh, all right, Brett, good luck tonight at 6. Do you know what you're wearing? I, I think I've got a blue suit. It's it's rare, but it's a dark blue suit. <laughs> so we have an exclusive on that, too. Yeah. So you're, Brett would wear a blue suit. Could you call uh, .com, uh, Eric? Could you put yes. that on the board? Yes. And by the way, Brian, you made the cut to come back to the Naples event February 13th. Get out of here. Yeah. Is this yeah. official? We, we thought that you were officially that good. That you should come back. <laughs> I just thought I was a finalist. I didn't know I actually made the cut. <laughs> You're on the cut. All right. We're working on the website now, but uh, it'll be fun. We're going to figure out the COVID stuff. We're going to get everybody safe, and we're going to have the event again. All right. Excellent. Uh, thanks so much, Brent. It's a great, great event for a great cause, and I get to hang out with you, which normally, unless it's for a good cause, you're not for. But that's if true. this cause is that powerful that you'll actually hang out with me. Uh, <laughs> so that's great. Brent, we'll watch you tonight. All right, see you, buddy. You got it. Uh, and by the way, I'll be following Brett two hours later. Uh, it'll be Martha, then me on Tucker. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Look, I just think that the radical left has just taken a big part of the Democratic Party. One of the things that I was really surprised to discover in researching Apocalypse Never is that really it's just about a dozen people that were major donors to President Obama who benefited the most from really about 90 billion in subsidies and taxpayer subsidies. So my concern here is it's not just that it's bad for consumers, bad for workers. You increase energy prices and there's always the risk that more jobs will go to China. Unemployment's already at 10 percent. But it also just ends up rewarding the insiders, the people that have special access right. to the president. It, uh, I think Joe Biden made it easy for the president yesterday. He's got to be more succinct. But instinctively, he knew the president, the vice president's proposals of 100 percent clean electricity standards by 2035, two trillion dollars in printed money over four years just for clean energy, which would result in goodbye refineries, goodbye oil drilling, uh, goodbye fracking. They might not say it, but people in the energy business from Ohio to Pennsylvania to Texas to Oklahoma have to read between the lines. And the president could underline that. And and that was Michael Schnellenberger, who I Schellenberger, who I did not know, helped co-write the new Green Deal. And he said, the world's not going to end in nine years like uh, Joe Biden just claimed. And this is ripe for the president of the United States. And there's two areas in which the president has gotten a, a, a underhand lob pitch and he's at home plate with the bases loaded. It is law enforcement because his people love law and order. And he does, too. And it's being thrown in the street by people who want to legitimately defund the police, defang the police, reimagine the police and disempower the police. So in Seattle, in Minneapolis, in New York, in Philadelphia and Chicago, you might not win those cities, but you can win those states. And every police family, every that's extended family, every retired cop will look at this and say, Joe Biden said nothing. And he maybe can't, but he's got to agree with those next generation of would-be voters because if he comes out strong for the cops, he loses the potential young audience that Hillary Clinton kept home because she was so unappealing to them. And that's what came across to, to me yesterday. And, and, and the president of the United States 
wanted to talk about China, but stepped on his own message again because he went off on who Joe Biden is, which gave us the opportunity to put them head to head. And I will tell you this. If I am a Joe Biden supporter or I work for Joe Biden, if I watch that, you could mock that he should, the president shouldn't have done the Rose Garden. You could mock the fact that the president said stepped on his message. Good. But if you were looking at that matchup, you do not want to put Joe Biden in with the president of the United States because the president had beliefs when he was a candidate, but now he knows. He knows what works, he knows why he was stopped, and he knows what he wants to do. And that's a lot different. And he knows what didn't work. A lot of what Barack Obama tried to do, and you forgot about the shovel-ready projects that never happened. See you on Tucker tonight at 8 o'clock Eastern. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.